Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Okay, so what are smart contracts? So smart contracts uh, enable coded logic that runs on the blockchain, aka smart procedures. Now, smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts. Um, it's a simple if-then conditional statement. So if Bob puts a quarter in the vending machine, then he will receive one can of soda. If Alice puts one dollar bill in one dollar bill, then she will receive one can of soda and 75 cents of change back. Um, another example of a smart contract would be auto bill pay. If it is the 15th of the month, then check Jason's bank account for sufficient funds. If Jason has sufficient funds, pay the electricity bill. If he does not, send him an email and tell him to get a job so he can pay the bills. So those are smart contracts, very simple procedures that enable the moving around of virtual assets, cryptographic assets. There are many, many, many use cases for smart contracts. Uh, smart contracts don't solve all of the world's problems, all of the world's problems as, as uh, some token shills may tell you, um, but they do solve some very core problems. Uh, on this list here, we have event ticketing, which has been my primary focus over the past few years, ride sharing, supply chain, real estate, creative rights attribution for artists, which is another problem that I'm hoping to solve, um, and decentralized exchanges, where you can exchange value peer-to-peer -peer without doing KYC and AML and having the government insert itself in there and learn everything about you. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. I'm Robert Trakakis, and I'm here to talk with you guys about blockchains and product management. This is the first time I've given a talk on this topic. Uh, much like many of us in the blockchain space, we kind of make things up as we go along. So that's what we're going to do here today. Um, I've spent the past two years building a smart contract protocol for the live entertainment industry with a focus on event ticketing. And if you guys want to know what it feels like to be in the crypto space, it goes a little something like this. That's... We communicate in memes in the blockchain world. Uh, to get a gauge of who I'm speaking with here, I'm going to play a little game called Raise Your Hand If You've Ever. Uh, so raise your hand if you've ever heard of Bitcoin. Okay, that's normal. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Ethereum. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard, or rather, if you own Bitcoin. Okay, this is typically what happens. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever, or rather, if you own Ethereum. Okay, and last question. Can anyone here tell me the name of the hashing algorithm that the Bitcoin miners run to validate transactions on the Bitcoin network? Yeah, okay, cool. So we got, who knew that? Raise your hand who answered that. Okay, cool. Right on. Shot 256 Secure hash algorithm 256, brute force algorithm. I won't bore you guys with the, uh, the details of the blockchain space, uh, but instead we're going to focus on 
on product management, uh, talk a little bit about who I am, why decentralization, why that matters. Uh, it is an unfortunate marketing buzzword, so I'm going to kind of define what decentralization means to me in the context of product management. Talk about what is blockchain, what are smart contracts, what are tokens. These are some of the tools that we work with in the blockchain space. Um, smart contract use cases, and then new considerations for product managers looking to enter the space or for those that are, that are already building products in the blockchain space. Okay, cool. So for starters, I have 10 years experience in the entertainment industry as a songwriter, producer, multi-instrumentalist, writing music for TV shows, movies, commercials at some of the major publishers here in Los Angeles. Um, I attended the very first product school cohort here in Los Angeles. And this is amazing to see how this community has grown. When I first came to the very first meetup, right down the street with Carlos, I think it was three of us, and he had prepared some slides. We ended up just sitting on a couch and drinking some beers and talking about product management. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Something that I'd like to explore further. So I attended the, uh, the, first, the first cohort. Uh, I went on to co-found Hello Segoy which again is building smart contracts for the entertainment industry with a focus on event ticketing, solving some of the problems there, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and I'm also the founding instructor, one of the founding instructors for Product School's blockchain and cryptocurrencies course. Um, we helped write some of the course curriculum uh, in an effort to communicate what, what our blockchain, some of, the, some of the things we'll be covering today um, over, I believe, a four-week course. And that was super exciting. I believe one of my students is here. So thank you for coming. Woo. All right, guys. So why blockchain? Well, blockchain is a social movement rooted in the diffusion of power to create a more fair and just society. And that's the reason why I got into the space, because the world is pretty messed up. I drop an F-bomb there usually, but it's pretty messed up. And as opposed to just sitting around watching the world fall apart around me, I wanted to do something about it, and I felt like leveraging blockchain technologies could be one of the ways I could contribute to creating this more egalitarian vision for society. Now, I got into the blockchain space as well because as an artist, I experienced a lot of problems. Uh, mostly, it's really hard to make money as an artist given these multinational corporations, these middlemen that extract so much value from the art that I create. And I wanted to do something about it. So blockchains seems to me to be this holy grail technology to add transparency through the value chain, to enable new sources of capital for artists, to enable fast and frictionless payments, because for myself, if I get a song placed in a major TV show, I don't get paid for a year, but I've got to pay rent in a week. How does that work? It's a major problem. And smart contracts will help expedite the payment process and solve some of these other problems. Centralization, middlemen, hurt artists. Centralization sucks for artists. As a matter of fact, as it says on the slide here, Spotify pays major labels, which are also the stakeholders in Spotify, 70% of revenue before it goes into the pockets of the artists. Now, I would argue that if there are no artists, there's no Spotify. Right? Just like if there are no people on Facebook, there's no Facebook. Right? If you're using a product for free, you are the product. Spot, uh, blockchains help to solve some of these things. So there's a misalignment of incentives here, right? Spotify is with these artists satisfies stakeholders. These stakeholders want to make money at the expense of the artists who are providing this content. So artists versus labels versus platforms versus consumers, these are all of these major ecosystem actors, and there's a lot of misalignment of incentives. 
Decentralized platforms define the rules of the game. I myself as an artist cannot, I do not have a stake in voting how much I get paid for a stream, which is nothing, it's pennies on the dollar. I have millions of streams on Spotify and my paychecks uh, barely cover the rent. Okay, so what is blockchain? Well, blockchains are economies where value is exchanged peer to peer without a central authority. And by central authority, I define that as, as these middlemen. That could be the states, that could be the bank, that could be these multinational corporations. So blockchains enable trusted transactions, enhanced security, data immutability, and decentralization, which again, I define as one central party that has too much control, too much influence over a particular ecosystem. As in the case with uh, the lives of the streaming industry, that player, that actor would be Spotify. Okay, so what are smart contracts? So smart contracts uh, enable coded logic that runs on the blockchain, aka stored procedures. Now, smart contracts are neither smart nor are they contracts. Um, it's a simple if-then conditional statement. So if Bob puts a quarter in the vending machine, then he will receive one can of soda. If Alice puts one dollar bill in one dollar bill, then she will receive one can of soda and 75 cents of change back. Um, another example of a smart contract would be auto bill pay. If it is the 15th of the month, then check Jason's bank account for sufficient funds. If Jason has sufficient funds, pay the electricity, electricity bill. If he does not, send him an email and tell him to get a job so he can pay the bills. So those are smart contracts, very simple procedures that enable the moving around of virtual assets, cryptographic assets. There are many, many, many use cases for smart contracts. Uh, smart contracts don't solve all of the world's problems, all of the world's problems as, as uh, some token shills may tell you, um, but they do solve some very core problems. Uh, on this list here, we have event ticketing, which has been my primary focus over the past few years, ride sharing, supply chain, real estate, creative rights attribution for artists, which is another problem that I'm hoping to solve, um, and decentralized exchanges where you can exchange value peer-to-peer -peer without doing KYC and AML and having the government insert itself in there and learn everything about you. Okay. This is kind of a big slide here, but here are 50-plus blockchain real-world use cases. There are many of them. Um, I don't know if we're sharing these slides afterwards, but uh, come up to me and I'll, I'll, I'll happily share this slide with you. Some really interesting use cases in there. Okay, so what are tokens? So tokens are kind of cryptographic virtual assets. Now, there are many different kinds of tokens. We won't go into all of these different kinds of tokens, but as a product manager, it becomes incredibly important for you to understand the type of token that you're implementing in a decentralized network. Now, not all decentralized ecosystems require a token, only the best ones do. There's a very small handful of use cases where that applies, but if you're building a product for consumers or for businesses, as a PM, it's imperative that you understand the different types of token models uh, work tokens, governance tokens, security tokens, collectible tokens. Um, I've been working on a model with the Burning Man community uh, that involves a variety of these different kinds of use cases, different kinds of tokens, to help solve the problems that they're currently facing. Okay, so this is a really great slide here. Again, it's a lot of small words, uh, but it basically goes on to talk about all of the different types of, of tokens that there are. Uh, this is incredibly new. Smart contracts were thought about uh, by Nick Zabel, introduced to the world by Nick Zabel in the 90s, I believe it was 1997, he wrote an article talking about smart contracts uh, to automate um, what we now pay a lot of money to have attorneys do, 
um, in the form of what of code as law, code as free speech. And it really wasn't until 2014, 2015, when Vitalik Buterin introduced the concept of smart contracts uh, for the Ethereum blockchain, which is which is what we're going to be focusing on today. There are a number of different smart contract protocols out there these days, like EOS and Definity, uh, but we're going to be focusing primarily on Ethereum as, to date, it has the most traction, the most developer uh, community base. Um, and these are some different token types, all based on the ERC-20 token standard. Um, okay, great. So blockchains are a blue sky opportunity for product management. So for those of you that want to pioneer, that want to board that ship to cross the ocean, you, know, you, may fall, you may fall off the edge of the ocean. For those flat earthers here, I mean, you know, it may or may not still happen. But pioneers, right? So we are building brand new technologies that have yet to be tried, tested, and true. We're inventing things as we go along. And that's incredibly exciting for someone like myself that, that wants to help create this more fair and just society. And blockchains enable this new kinds of abundance, new sources of abundance. Uh, there's that, that uh, beautiful Buckminster Fuller quote that I'm going to watch here, but it talks about not so much replacing the existing models, but building new ones that replace the old models. And that's what we're doing here in the blockchain space. Okay? So we're going to talk about some new opportunities for product managers. Um, as I've, I've been talking about, blockchains are a very nascent new technology. There are some prerequisites to be able to scale this technology so that on our mobile devices, we are all managing our private keys and we're sending and receiving tokens to one another. Um, identity is a major opportunity for product managers, right? Right now, blockchains, they don't know who you are and you can create a bunch of different accounts. So that may be a way to subvert certain voting systems. So identity is incredibly important. Think of it as your internet password. Right now, Facebook owns your identity. In this world, you own your identity, your self-sovereign identity. It's a major opportunity to contribute to the space. Uh, scalability. Uh, right now, blockchains are slow. They kind of suck uh, as far as managing thousands of transactions per second, like something like Visa or MasterCard does. Um, so we need a lot of help building out scalable solutions for blockchains, and I imagine that we're going to see something like that uh, within the next couple of years that will be able to match the kind of transaction throughput that Visa or MasterCard can. Um, also, governance. Now, when we're talking about these decentralized ecosystems, there's no central authority. In the case of Bitcoin, you have various stakeholders. You have the miners, so the ones verifying and validating the transactions. You have the consumers, the holders, the ones that are using the tokens to, to buy, sell, and trade, or just hold on to it as the store value increases over time. Um, and you also have the core developers. Uh, these ecosystems are open source, so they're very much community-based and reliant upon a, a vibrant community to help push forward new code changes. All three of these, these stakeholders need to agree on moving the technology forward, and without a, a governance methodology, it becomes very difficult for the code to be updated. Um, and we've seen some, some, uh, some brick walls uh, in, the, in the Bitcoin space, which is you know, kind of slowed down development, and that's why we have things like Ethereum uh, with dip, explore, exploring different governance models to continue moving the products forward. Okay? And we also need real-world use cases beyond speculation. Um, the, the main use case for this technology so far has been greed. Um, so we need to think of real-world use, real use cases that solve real problems for real people, as Samantha was talking about just a moment ago. Okay? PMs have an opportunity to help solve all of these problems. Okay, 
So the following slides have a number of new considerations for PMs. Now, PM theory still applies here. We're going out, we're talking with customers, we're prioritizing features, we're building those features, we're rinsing and repeating. We're going through that product development lifecycle. That doesn't change, but there's some new considerations here that I've gleaned, some new insights that I've gleaned in my time in the space that I'd like to share with you guys today. So blockchains introduce new kinds of user behaviors. Like, for example, buying crypto from an exchange. Right? So I had you guys raise your hands a little bit before. So, so you've, you've had the experience of going to Coinbase or Binance or something like that and, and going through this onboarding process. Without these tokens, you cannot interact with blockchain products. And so new users need to understand how to go through this process, be comfortable with managing their private keys, going to an exchange, purchasing tokens, buying, selling, and trading these tokens. And there's a lot of new vocabulary that comes as a result of that as well. Okay. So understanding centralized, like Coinbase versus decentralized, like Ether Delta exchanges. Now these user interfaces, which is, another, which is in another slide, I won't talk too much about that now, need a lot of help. And I think PMs have a major opportunity here to step up and, and leverage their skill sets to make these products usable for grandma in Wichita, as opposed to tech nerds in Silicon Valley that love asymmetric elliptic curve encryption and all that fancy stuff. So creating a wallet as well. Most people buy from Coinbase, their tokens sit on the exchange, and then leave them there. Um, I would advise not doing that and moving the cryptocurrency to a wallet that you manage. Now, there's different kinds of wallets. There's hot wallets. There's cold wallets. Um, these are all very brand new terms. And for our users, we need to educate them to get them up to speed so that we can start speaking this language, so that they're better able to, to leverage the power of these blockchain ecosystems. Managing private keys is a major, major hurdle. So you have a private key. A private key gives you access to your wallet, which has access to your funds. If you lose that private key, now we all know password management is like a, a major, major hurdle. People lose their passwords all the time. If you lose your password or it gets compromised by a nefarious hacker, your funds are gone forever. Your Bitcoin is not FDIC insured. It is, it is gone forever. There's no Bitcoin Inc. support line that you call to recover your funds. If you lose your private keys, that's gone forever. This is kind of a trade-off, right? We're working with different trade-offs between self-sovereignty, uh, self-accountability, and trusting centralized, uh, centralized parties, which may not always have your best interests in mind. Now, uh, PMs are already polymaths. PMs already need to know a lot um, a little about a lot of things, or a lot about a few things. Um, these are some of the areas of focus. I'm going to jump over here. Some of the areas of focus that PMs need to be fluent and versed in. We're talking securities law. Not the most exciting thing in the world, but if you are issuing a token, you need to understand the ramifications of doing so and in what jurisdiction. Financial regulation. Understanding markets. Uh, blockchains are, are market-based communities, so understanding how markets work. Trading, game theory, that has uh, specifically to do with token engineering and token design. How do we align the, the, the misalignment of incentives between these ecosystem actors? Well, we uh, leverage game theory for that. Uh, incentive design, monetary policy, social psychology, governance. Uh, I like to say that, that blockchains are a mind virus, and once you, once you get that mind virus, the, the rabbit hole is never ending. And for those that are intellectually curious, which I would believe to be the trait of a great PM, and this is a wonderful space 
yourselves to be in. All right, so here's some new considerations. Working with smart contracts. So smart contracts are... Hi, can you guys hear me better now? Okay, I guess my mic wasn't turned on. And I was told to run around the stage. I was trying to lobby to Carlos to get like some flame throwers, some LED lights, some smoke machines, but I guess it's against fire, fire code. So, uh, Anyways, guys, <laughs> to continue. So working with smart contracts. Um, smart contracts are supposed to be immutable code in that once you deploy a smart contract to the mainnet, it's there running autonomously forever and ever and ever. These smart contracts are supposed to replace humans. Well, that's kind of scary if... After you deploy a smart contract, there's an exploit found. That, that can be bad. So this whole iterate things, you know, build fast and break things, the whole Facebook mentality, that is bad in the blockchain space. So we want to slow things down and write simple code and audit this code and test this code um, internally and also through third-party auditors, something like uh, Zeppelin. And that can be incredibly expensive, prohibitively expensive for some teams, um, but it's a worthy trade-off. If you spend $50,000 to get your smart contracts audited, but it saves you $50 million if you have all of your users um, trusting in you to manage their funds. So this is, this is, this is very different uh, than, than writing traditional code. Gas fees are another consideration as well. So the user on Ethereum and other smart contract protocols are required to pay gas, which is the cost of computation, to execute these smart contracts. And it's on the user to pay these fees. Right now, we have something called MetaMask, which is a Chrome extension that you download, and it injects Web3 into your Chrome browser. And in MetaMask, the, the user interface is getting better, but it's still really confusing. You have all of these brand new terms that people aren't used to. So from a user perspective, it's... It's prohibitive. It's not convenient, right? Uh, again, this, this, this space is so young and so new that there's a trade-off between convenience and centralization and decentralization, which requires more work from the user. So when we were going out and talking to our potential customers, our event organizers, we were making, we profiled specific people that had, that were willing to take the risk, that were willing to board the ship with us to experiment with these new technologies. But for the average person, as soon as you start seeing some of these terms, they're like, what the heck is gas? Why do I have to pay with gas? Like, what is, what is, what is this whole thing? And, and immutability, and I got to download, I got to get crypto from an exchange, and then I got to download this Chrome extension, and then I got to get a wallet. Like, well, you already lost me. No thanks. I'm not here. I'm done. Um, so see what, these are some of the challenges, or as I should say, opportunities for product managers to come in and really bridge the gap. Okay. So working with tokens. Now building tokens and, and token uh, cryptographic uh, ecosystems is, is one of the most exciting things for me in the space. What I love to do is, is identifying the ecosystem actors. What are their behaviors? Why do they behave in the way that they do? And how can we craft economic incentives to align those behaviors? So tokens are a core feature of the product. It's not something that many people think about in the traditional uh, tech world is, is integrating this kind of value system, this incentive mechanism. Um, so again, it's incredibly important for the PM to understand how to seamlessly integrate that token into the product. Ecosystem incentive design is another consideration. So tokens coordinate behavior via incentive design. And, and I think as a PM, it is critical 
that you work with your team to build out the token mechanics, understand how those mechanics work, and then leverage that understanding uh, to build that into your product so that your consumers, um, and ultimately this is my goal at what we've been building for the past couple of years, is to build a product where people don't even know that they're using blockchains. Because they're, they're super confusing, a lot of sharp edges, and PMs have the opportunity to sand down some of those sharp edges. There are many, many different kinds of token engineering frameworks, which I'm going to show you on the next slide, um, or token model canvas. So um, much like we saw earlier about mapping out the, the, uh, the, the empathy or mapping out the type of customer that you want to target, um, in this case, we're, we're designing whole ecosystems and identifying not just one specific user, but multiple users that may be at odds with one another, multiple stakeholders that, that may be misaligned in terms of their incentives. And these token engineering frameworks help to identify specifically these various, these various actors. What are their incentives? What are their behaviors? What are the trade-offs? What are existing models that we could leverage that would make sense? Or if there's nothing that exists, then we just have to build something new. And for me, that's the most exciting part of this whole space. Okay, so here's another really big slide. Um, here, we have our objective, our description of the various actors, some different token patterns that we can implement. Again, if you guys want to talk to me about this stuff afterwards, um, please do. And here's the actor behavior map where we go and outline the behaviors of all of the ecosystem participants and try to design token economics that are, that are powered by these smart contracts. Now, again, once you've designed all of this stuff and those smart contracts are deployed to the mainnet, that's it. You can't iterate over them. You can't, you'd have to destroy the smart contracts and build a new, which is something that we actually had to do. And if you have funds that are staked inside those smart contracts, you have to go to all of your community members and say, hey, please remove the funds while we upgrade the smart contract. You can build your smart contracts with upgradability in mind, but then it becomes expensive because, again, you have to pay these gas fees. And gas fees do have not a direct, but are correlated with the price of the Ether token. So as the price goes up, so don't your smart contract fees. In addition to that, as more people use the network, gas fees also go up. So if you're running a popular decentralized application, um, these gas fees are going to go up and be prohibit prohibitively expensive for some users, which is just kind of a bummer. And we're going to try to work around some of those things in the future to make these, these dApps actually usable beyond um, some really cool... A very expensive science experiment or economic experiment. Okay, so again, we talk about identifying and understanding ecosystem actors. So we need to have a broad outlook when it comes to designing these ecosystems. So group traits versus individual traits. In the case of event ticketing, we're not just building a product for the event organizers. They may be our target customer, but we also want to consider the vendors, the venues, the promoters. The artists, they all have different kinds of incentives, right? The promoter wants to sell out all the tickets. They don't care who the tickets go to. They just want to sell them out. The artist wants to sell out the tickets for a fair price that may not meet the expectation of the venue or the event organizer who has to, who has to uh, cross a threshold to, to, to be profitable because events are incredibly expensive. And then in come the brokers and scalpers who are there to offset some of the risk for the event organizers, but it sucks for the consumers because then they're paying these egregious markups on secondary market sites where there's also fake tickets. And so there's, 
you can see here there's all this misalignment of incentives. So how do you design an ecosystem? How do you create a token that aligns these incentives so that at the end of the day, the outcome is optimal for all parties and it removes the unnecessary rent seekers, the middlemen, um, which in the case of our product would be the brokers and scalpers. So again, answering these key questions, what are their incentives, what are their behaviors, and how do they interact? And I think some of what we heard just a little bit earlier in uh, creating this uh, uh, mind-reading tactics to understand the, the various ecosystem actors is incredibly important in identifying really what are the behaviors of each of the actors and how do we realign them through economic incentives. People love making money. They hate losing money. So that's, that's kind of where you start. How can we make them more money in certain areas? And, and if they don't behave in alignment with our desired outcomes, then perhaps they lose something. Okay. It's called skin in the game in the crypto space. All right. So we also need to define what those desired outcomes are. Well, in the case of our product at Hello Segoya, the desired outcome would be the artist's have a great show. They sell tickets to their true fans, not just those that are willing to pay the highest price. Um, in the case of the event organizer, the event organizer makes their money back, so they become profitable. The promoter and the venue do as well. And the vendors are happy because there's people actually in the venue buying concessions and merchandise and whatnot. That would be the desired outcome. So we kind of start with the desired outcome and work backwards from there. Okay. How do you reward these good behaviors through earning a token, through doing work? Or how do you punish bad behavior? And how do you leverage people's reputation? Reputation is going to be key here in measuring who gets rewarded and who doesn't get rewarded. Um, I mentioned earlier that a major opportunity for PMs is building an identity management, a self-sovereign identity management platform that would have some sort of reputation score uh, on that platform that would use your behavior. In the case of like what we're doing, you buy a ticket and go to the event, buy a ticket and go to the event. Oh, okay, well, this person's probably not a broker and scalper. So let's actually reward them with a token, reward their fandom, and give them backstage access or early access tickets or discounted tickets. There's all these really interesting incentive mechanisms that you can build in. Now, in them doing that, it makes it harder for a nefarious actor a broker and scalper who's buying tickets, selling tickets, buying tickets, and selling tickets to thwart that system. It doesn't stop it completely, but it just makes it impossibly hard to cheat the system. That's, that's kind of how Bitcoin works, right? You build on the longest chain, and you, 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 you do this amount of work, this computational work, and if you try to cheat the system and double spend a token, well, you're going to be spending more resources than it's worth, than the reward of doing that to try to thwart the system. So we are building market-based, market-driven communities. Now, it's important in this space to define a core ethos, a core belief system. Now, without sounding too dogmatic or too religious, um, some people in the space, they sound religious in the way that they talk about their belief systems, their core ethos. And now that's, that, that can go a little too far, but it's also really important to define that in your community. So, for example... We're defining or we're empowering artists. We're empowering the event organizers. We're empowering the fans to pay a fair price to go to their shows. That is our core ethos. And the token represents a badge of honor. That is your, that is your signal to the rest of the world that I align with this core ethos. This is what I believe in. 
Now, these may or may not be normal considerations when you're just iterating through a product, uh, but it matters a lot when you're building these open source decentralized ecosystem, these communities of people, okay? Communication is a lot different too. Uh, people live on Telegram and Discord uh, and Twitter and Reddit in the blockchain space. So as a PM, you're on there a lot. You are managing your community a lot. You're getting real-time instant feedback from your customers, your community. So it's 24 by 7. This does not stop. There's no, uh, I'm going to go home, the market's done, we'll ring the bell, okay, we'll start trading again the next day. This is 24 by 7. And you have, you have different kinds of expectations from your community. Some people only care about the token's price. They're just speculators. When Moon, when Lambo, I don't care about your product. I don't care if I'm ever going to use it. I just want my token's value to go up. So you have to manage those people uh, against those that are there to actually own that token, to put work into the ecosystem, to do something interesting. Um, now, unfortunately, I find that at this point, again, because we're so early, that we're disproportionately favoring the speculators versus the actual users. So a major challenge and opportunity for PMs is identifying actual users of the product that want to use that token, not only to signal to the rest of the world that they align with the empowerment of artists, but that they need that token, they want to use that token with inside the product. So bootstrapping a network. There are different types of token sale, token distribution mechanisms. Um, the main one that I'm sure many of you have heard uh, is called an ICO. How many people have heard an ICO? Initial coin offering. Um, they, they are... are not so hot anymore. Stable, stable, uh, 2017 was the, the year of ICOs. Uh, 2018 is the year of stable coins. Um, but anyways, it's a, it's a token distribution fundraising mechanism, um, which, which kind of sucks. Uh, but it's really it's a great way to bootstrap a community. You sell a bunch of tokens. You earn, you, you sell the tokens, you collect that money. And the speculators are there speculating on the future value of this thing, even though there's no product actually built, <laughs> which is kind of insane, but that's just how it went last year. Um, there's different types of sales. There's capped sales where we're only going to sell up to X number of tokens uh, for an X valuation. Um, there's more exotic token sale, uh, sale mechanisms like reverse Dutch auction, um, which the Gnosis team did at Consensus. A very novel idea, very interesting idea. Um, there are also airdrops which have become somewhat popular. Airdrops are super interesting in that you build an engaged community with a product, and then you airdrop or give tokens to these engaged community members. And you can do something called a smart drop, where you specifically target people who are going to use that product or service. You give them tokens. You're, you're, not, you're not actually selling the tokens. You're just kind of giving it to them. They give you your wallet address, and you send them the tokens. And then they use that within your product or service. Um, it's important to understand regulation through all of this because it turns out just because you airdrop a token, um, that could also be uh, distributing a unregistered security. I am not a securities attorney, but have talked with them uh, for more hours out of my life than I'd like to admit. Um, so just be aware uh, that there are ways to skirt regulation and there are ways to be compliant. Um, so it's striking a balance between that. Um, there's also really cool novel mechanisms called curved bonding and continuous token sales. Um, very interesting where it's a dynamic pricing model where you buy tokens early, 
You stake your ETH into a bonded curve, and then you get some tokens in return. It's a way of bootstrapping a network and incentivizing early adopters. Uh, there's been some really interesting work in meme markets. Um, this guy called Simon de la Riviere has done some tremendous work in that space for bonded tokens, continuous token sales, which I am a fan of. Um, as there's no initial coin offering where you're just selling a bunch of unregistered securities to Main Street investors. Okay, I have no opinions about this at all, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> all right. So, moving on. Financially incentivized network effects. Um, so, we are building these, these communities, these networks. So, as PMs, you are responsible, in some part, by managing that community and building a product for that community. You are essentially, through distributing a token, you're willing a network into existence based on some, some speculation, right? Some sort of monetary reward, which is really novel. That's, that's not how most networks are built, right? Facebook wasn't built by giving this, this token or this kind of belief system, and it grew over time, and it reached that critical mass where it went parabolic. Um, here, it is much, much, much different. As I talked about before, um, tokens... Um, our, our social signaling mechanism, a badge of honor. You know, I see some people around here wearing their, their product school shirts. Um, well, that could be tokenized and incentivized within these decentralized ecosystems. Um, a token as a badge, badge of honor will help to indoctrinate your community. It will help to personalize. If your token is a non-fungible token, um, like an like a NFT non-fungible token uh, crypto ticket, which is something that we're working on, where it's very unique and specific to the event that you attended. I was number 52 to go to Burning Man, and I actually have, you know, Burning Man 2819, and I have this ticket, and no one else in the entire world has this ticket. And you could actually incentivize artists to design the artwork on that ticket, and it acts as this kind of badge of honor. It's a very unique product opportunity. So token holders drive network innovation. So in this case, it's a bit different than talking with a bunch of customers and then building, building, iterating your product based on that feedback. Um, you're going to get your consumers, your customers, your community barking at you nonstop saying, well, we want this and we want to do that. And you have to consider all of these things even before deploying that smart contract to the main net. Because again, once you do, it's locked in time forever and there's nothing that you can do about that. You might be able to add some sort of feature on top of it or some sort of interesting UI, UX built on top of the smart contract. But once it's there in the mainnet, it is there in time forever. At least that's how it's supposed to work. Okay. Right now in the space, UI and UX absolutely sucks. <laughs> it needs a lot of work. It's just, it's just really hard to get a non-crypto enthusiast like myself or my friends to use a product that uses crypto tokens. Um, that's going to be a major challenge for us, uh, for designers, for product managers, for anyone in the space to build products and services that make sense for the average person so that they can leverage the technology without fear of losing all of their funds if their private keys, uh, if they lose their private keys, for example. Okay. How much time do I have left? I want to make sure that I'm not over. I'm good? Cool. Great. So, for example, how do, we, how do we inject Web3 into the browser without having to use something like MetaMask? How do we securely uh, use our mobile devices on our, uh, to, to manage our wallets on our, on our phones? Right now, it becomes easy to thwart those, and people, people uh, who 
just don't know any better lose millions and millions of dollars. It's happened a lot. Um, how do we educate, and I'm, I'm going to wrap things up here in just a moment, but how do we educate new users? Uh, is it through modal windows or through Clippy? Now, and this is unfortunately, you cannot read this, but this is an amazing meme that goes like, oh, hey, so you want to use a crypto token. Well, you got to go create an account on Coinbase, and then you got to do XYZ and XYZ. And at the very end down here, it says, what is gas? It's, it's really funny. I love it. I wish you guys could read it. Um, anyways. Okay, guys. So to conclude, I'm going to give you guys a really interesting statement here by uh, KJ Erickson from an amazing blog post. Uh, take a photo of this slide. Read this slide. Uh, read this post on Medium. It's awesome. The network affects businesses of the future will be organized not as centralized for-profit corporations built on extractionary business models, but rather as decentralized, token-based economies with incentive alignment between network owners and participants. So if you're a PM, product manager, and you want to help to create the new open decentralized financial ecosystem and beyond, this is the blue sky opportunities for those looking to get into the space. These are some things that I've learned, some insights that I've gleaned over the past couple of years. Thank you guys very much. It's been an honor to be here. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.